this is Craig Brown, and welcome to Passages. Passages is a space to explore Bible passages used in churches for preaching, reflection, and prayer. My hope is that Passages will shine a unique light on text used in the lectionary in the coming weeks. Today's passage is Luke chapter 3, verses 15 to 17, and then verses 21 and 22. It's the reading for the baptism of the Lord in the year C cycle of the lectionary, which happens to be the lectionary text for January 9, 2022. I want to focus in this particular episode of Passages on the two closing verses in this lectionary text, verses 21 and 22, which actually describe the narrative when Jesus himself is baptized. As this uh, narrative begins in Luke's version of Jesus' baptism story, we read in verse 21 this, Now when all the people were baptized, Jesus also was baptized. And so let's begin with Jesus with us. You see, John's preaching and work, John the Baptist, that is, have all pointed to Jesus. And in the earlier part of this lectionary text, verses 15 to 17, there's a conversation that takes place between John and those who came to hear him. Many suspected John to be the long-awaited Messiah, but John makes it clear he points to someone else who is coming. So Jesus arrives at the end of John's baptismal ministry. And rather than observe it and comment about it, Jesus actually participates in it. In many ways, it's the validation of John's message about this baptism for the repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Now, what's interesting to me in the the grammar of verse 21 is this, that it says, now when all the people were baptized, uh, the tense of that verb, were baptized in Greek, is the aorist tense. It's It's a past tense that it's talking about a continuous action that occurred in the past. And then it says Jesus was also baptized. Again, another aorist. They're paired back to back. And so what the the text is telling us is that, that Jesus came to be baptized while John was baptizing everybody else and that Jesus himself was baptized at that moment. moment. There's a joining here. You see, Jesus doesn't come for his baptism separate and apart from the baptism that John is conducting. He comes as people were coming to be baptized, but yet he comes at the end of that process. Jesus does not come separate. He comes as one. Now, there's lots of discussion about why Jesus is baptized, and this controversy really erupted in the second century. That's how many years ago that this controversy has been with us about why it is Jesus came to be baptized, but we'll talk more about that later. But I want to build on this foundation about Jesus being with us. That's the key passageway here. The Jesus with us is the heart of divine action. A number of years ago, at the beginning of my doctoral program at Boston University, we read a book by Bishop Samuel Wells called The Nazareth Manifesto. And in the Nazareth Manifesto, Wells talks about this notion of God being with us in Jesus Christ, and thus the power of us being with others. And Wells outlines a, a really articulate case for what it means for us to practice a form of incarnational living. And Jesus epitomizes this in this particular text. The power of Jesus joining with those who are coming to hear John and to be baptized by John is immeasurable. 
This notion of God joining with us is of infinite value. It's the true expression of God's love. The Jesus with us is the heart of divine action. And in this moment in time, it is perfectly revealed. Now, as this text moves forward, we come to this very next phrase. After Jesus was baptized, the text tells us in verse 21, Jesus also was baptized. That's that aorist participle, in other words, that past tense rendering of the baptism. And then it says, and while he was praying. Now, here's an interesting twist. In this entire passage in verse 21 and 22, there's only two actions Jesus takes. One, he was baptized. That's what we talked about a moment ago. And the second action Jesus takes in this text is that it says he was praying. Rather than being an aorist particle and a participle, the past tense, this one is a present participle. It indicates that while all of this was going on, when Jesus came for his baptism, while he was baptized, after he was baptized, he was engaged in the act of prayer. The language of this text wants us to understand that everything that happens in this episode is bathed in prayer. Well, why care? Jesus, Jesus is praying throughout this entire moment, before, during, and after. And what this is to say is, is something I think that eludes us oftentimes as followers of Jesus, that the ethic of Jesus cannot be detached from the being of Jesus. You see, there's nothing in here about the ethic of Jesus. All Jesus does is he comes and gets baptized and he prays. That's, that's it. Jesus doesn't do any other great altruistic deed. He doesn't perform any other act or miracle. He simply is baptized and he prays. This is truly, in many ways, the heart of our own response to God we'll talk about in a moment. The ethic of Jesus can't be detached from the being of Jesus. Prayer Prayer is the only true response. Prayer is what puts us in union with God. And Jesus does this as he comes for his own baptism. He is focused on this union and synergy in his relationship with God as he comes for baptism. He acts, that's the baptism, and he prays. God does the rest. That's the key passageway for us here about prayer. Prayer is our essential act of union and our singular petition. Remember, the ethic of Jesus can't be detached from the being of Jesus. And our destiny as, as followers of Jesus is not to do the work of Jesus. It's to become his very image. And sometimes our work for Jesus or our ministry for God actually become the false idol and that we're in pursuit of doing the things Jesus did, whereas God invites only prayerful union that seeks transformation, that if we actually become the image of God in Jesus Christ, then we will do all that Jesus did and so much more. Prayer is how we find our way to this union. Prayer and quiet, rather than listing our grocery list off to God, those moments in which we can experience union and unity with God in this kind of mystical experience where God shapes and forms in us who we're called to be. This is who Jesus is as he comes to his baptism, praying throughout the entire experience. God calls us to do the same thing 
in our own lives. Luke's version of Jesus' baptism continues at the end of verse 21 and describes how the heaven was opened. And then later in verse 22, Luke describes how a voice came from heaven. And I want to talk about these two ideas together, not only because they name heaven, but what it means to have the heaven opened and the voice from heaven. These are two moments that evoke, from a biblical perspective, kind of an apocalyptic vision. This notion of heavens being opened It's like a cosmic sign. The scriptures are replete with these moments of divine interruption, when heavens are open, when voices come, when there's these epiphanies of God. Oftentimes, there's another label described for these events, and that's they're called theophanies. A theophany is some sort of a manifestation or appearance of God in scripture, and this is one of those moments in which there's this revelation of heaven being opened. The ancient world was filled with a sense of mysticism, especially within the Jewish community of the first century, in that the the demarcation between the heavenly realm and the earthly realm was was significant. So whenever that is fractured or parted, that indicated that there was some cosmic event that was taking place here. Now, each of these phrases describes something about this cosmic event. This act of Jesus, baptism and prayer, It evokes a cosmic response, a tremor, if you will. And the act of God hinges on this moment in Jesus' ministry and life. It's not that God's act of salvation depends on this moment in Jesus' life. It simply hinges on this moment in Jesus' ministry and life. And that is the key passageway here for us, that we must always look to God's revelation. Our work is to never force the hand. The heavens were opened. A voice came from heaven. These are moments of God's interruption in human history, cosmic events, not events that are caused by us. So often we're given to maneuvering choices and outcomes, trying to get to the things that we would like to see or the things that we want to have happen. Jesus Jesus does only that which is called. He doesn't game the outcome. Rather, God acts in perfect fashion entwined with Jesus's response and our response as well. While we might think it's that our choices that precipitate the hand of God, in reality, it might actually be the opposite. Luke, along with the other writers in the Gospels, describe this moment of the coming of the Holy Spirit, and he does so in verse 22. It says, the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. This whole episode is about framing the convergence of the three persons of the Trinity, and as such, it it inaugurates the outset of Jesus's ministry. You see, the coming of the Holy Spirit is not some sort of infusion of divine power. In this case, it's a confirming sign. It's an acknowledgement of a reality that is already in existence. So this episode seems very similar to other prophetic inaugurations. It's really a statement of fact. There's other moments in the Bible where the Holy Spirit has come upon holy women and men at different instances, and and those episodes are described. But in some ways, they're not an anointing or a coming of the Spirit 
for the task that they have to do. Rather, it is God's embodiment with them as an acknowledgement of the choice they've made. The coming of the Holy Spirit here now brings the fullness of Jesus's person and ministry into focus. We begin to get clarity, not only about what Jesus will do, but about who Jesus is. Now, the dove in this text is really puzzling, and it lacks a lot of clarity. And there's been a lot written by scholars trying to understand what this dove means through different lenses. Some have appealed to the the image of the dove that Noah used on the ark to go out and to find land. Others have appealed to different images of birds that have been depicted throughout the ancient world and even in the Roman world. This is just puzzling. It's an enigma that we quite don't have the answer for. But suffice to say this, that the Spirit, as the the third so-called person of the Trinity, is seeking embodiment. And in some ways, this image of the dove is the best expression for that. What's important here is not what the dove means, but it's vastly more important that the Spirit descends on Jesus, that the role of the Spirit is central here. And that's a key passageway for us, that the Holy Spirit in us animates and empowers us to embody God's grace. The work of the Spirit in us is to bear witness to God's abiding presence and power. Jesus does what he will do by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's about this perfect synergy in the person of the Trinity. It is the model in many ways for our own sanctification. In other words, what's happening in this story depicts our destiny as a people. Our destiny not only personally, It's our destiny ecclesially as a church. It's our destiny vocationally in terms of the work or ministry that we do for God. This defines for us what our life is to look like, is this this synergy of the Holy Spirit being upon us and in us as children of God, expressing the work and passion and heart of God into the world. This episode in Luke's gospel concludes with what the voice from heaven actually says. It says, you are my beloved son, in you I am well pleased. You know, the discussion in Luke's gospel up till now has been about a Messiah. You know, people kept asking John the Baptist if he was the one they had been expecting, the Messiah. The word Messiah means anointed one. And in Israel's history throughout its history in this ancient time, and especially in this first century, these messianic expectations ran high. As the Jewish people were under a a Roman oppression, the, the notion of having a savior or a leader or an anointed one rise up to liberate God's people was, uh, was everywhere in this ancient time. And so when John the Baptist is engaged in his ministry, people keep asking if he's the one that they've been waiting for. The the voice is critical here for us, this voice from heaven, because everything is building up to Messiah. But notice what the voice says. The voice doesn't say anything about Messiah. What does the voice say? You are my beloved son. Everything's building to Messiah, and instead we hear son. You see, the essence of Jesus's being is not his role, but his relationship. Being the son makes Jesus the Messiah. 
not the other way around. This whole story is a story about union. It's a story about synergy, about relationships. As Sam Wells would say, being with. It's about embodiment. And here is the heart of the reason for Jesus' baptism. As I alluded to earlier, we would come back to. It, it marks the consecration of Jesus' ministry. At this moment of convergence of the three persons of the Trinity, this inaugural moment is really the time in which Jesus' affirmation of that call by coming for this baptism and being filled with the Holy Spirit, of the Holy Spirit descending upon him and this voice speaking is the convergence that marks the consecration of Jesus' ministry. So why does Jesus come to be baptized? He comes to be baptized because this is the moment in which he acknowledges and affirms for himself who he is, not what he will do. Who he is. Being well-pleased, as the voice says, is about Jesus' choice to take his rightful place in this relationship, in this union, this dance, if you will, in the three persons of the Trinity. The key passageway here for us is this, as we read not only this last part of this text, but the entire text. There is no greater fulfillment than being a child of God. So often, we as people seek power, influence, importance, validation, or just affirmation. But foundational to each of our lives is not our role or our title. Foundational to our lives is relationship. And in this case, it's Jesus' relationship to God, Jesus' relationship to the people he comes among, Jesus' relationship even to John the Baptist, Jesus' relationship with the Spirit, Jesus' power to save does not flow from his office, his title, his moniker. It flows from his relationship with God, his union and unity with God. If Jesus' baptism teaches us anything, it is about God being with us, and it teaches us how to be with God. That's it for this week. I bid you all grace and a happy new year. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.